Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of Yahweh and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek God, the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. And they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars high above them he chopped down. Also the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images he broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. And then in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali and their surrounding ruins, he also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and the carved images into powder and chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land of the house, in the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasiah, an official of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of Yahweh, his God. And they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and delivered the money which was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel, and, all, and from all Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they gave it into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of Yahweh, and the workmen who were working in the house of Yahweh used it to restore and repair the house. Then in turn gave it to the carpenters and to the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for couplings and to make beams for the houses which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men did the work faithfully, with foremen over them to supervise, Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merari, Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of the Kohathites, and the Levites and all who were skillful with musical instruments. They were also over the burden bearers and supervised all the workmen from job to job, and some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. When they were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of Yahweh, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses, and Hilkiah responded and said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of Yahweh, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan brought the book to the king and reported further word to the king, saying, Everything that was entrusted to your servants they are doing. They have also emptied out the money which was found in the house of Yahweh and have delivered into the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book, and Shaphan read, it, read from it in the presence of the king. And it came about when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Iakam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Esaias the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of Yahweh for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which have been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh, which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the, wor the word of Yahweh to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those uh, with the king had told, uh, with, <laughs> excuse me. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had told went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her regarding this. And she said to them, 
Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says Yahweh, behold, I'm bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses written in the book which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of Yahweh, thus you will say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares Yahweh. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, so your eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of Yahweh and all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people from the greatest to the least, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of Yahweh. Then the king stood in the place, in his place and made a covenant before Yahweh to walk after Yahweh and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. Moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah removed all abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve Yahweh their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following Yahweh, the God of their fathers. We'll turn now to John chapter 17, reading verses 6 through 19. Jesus says, I manifested thy name to the men who thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have come to know that everything thou hast given me is from thee. From the words which thou gavest me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me for they are thine. And all things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I have been glorified in them. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy name, thy name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name which thou hast given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." But now I come to thee, and these things I speak into the world, that they may have joy, my joy, made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I have not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. That as thou hast sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. 
and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who are who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. Please now turn to the back of your bulletin, where we'll read together as a congregation Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all the ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen? Amen. Someone queried me, why are you reading this every Sunday? 
the creeds. There are many creeds, but the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. These are central creeds that summarize the doctrine of the triune God. And it appalls me that we have millennial children who have gone out from here who don't know these truths and don't hold to them. And uh, we have people in this congregation who could not tell us these truths and maybe don't hold them. We certainly have little children who need to know these truths, and repetition is a great thing. Let's bow in prayer. Father, now we ascend into your presence to hear a word from you, and we pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. As the bride of Christ, that you would be making us holy and blameless, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we might be presented one day before our Savior and that he would be pleased with us. So cause your spirit to take your word and work in soft hearts, stony hearts, and hard hearts. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we had a tremendous time Thursday night. It was raucous at the book club. And if you weren't there, you missed out. And we don't tape it for good reasons. Some of uh, what we read and talked about is going to come up in the sermon today. So covenant is essential in the Bible. Whether you happen to believe in covenant theology or not, that doesn't make any difference. Whatever eschatology or whatever theology one holds to, covenant is the key. It starts right in Genesis 1, and it runs all the way through Revelation. And we have covenants that are made with man, going way back at creation, made with Noah, the covenant is still active today, made with Abraham, the covenant is still active today, Made with Moses, the covenant is the old covenant and has given way to the new covenant. The covenant with David, which is active today. And uh, there are other various covenants in the Bible. Then the covenant with the new covenant, which is the foundation of the church, the new covenant. Covenants are not as different as some people would like to say. Some people say, well, some of them are all God's work and none of man's, and other of them are conditional. That is not quite a true statement. They are all conditional, and they're all God's work. So, under the Old Covenant, which we're going to look at today, better known as the Mosaic Covenant, which is, uh, which is spoken in depth in the book of Deuteronomy, it's also found in Exodus. It's also found in Leviticus. It's, it's all over the place. And because some people say, well, we're not under that covenant, we tend to dismiss it. But let me quickly say, 
the prophet Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant which I made with them. And they were disobedient to it even though I was a husband to them. But I'm going to make a new covenant. And I'm going to write my laws in their heart and I'm going to put them on your mind. Now, if you're living in the times of Jeremiah and you hear that prophecy, what exactly laws do you think are going to be put in your heart and put on your mind? Well, they're mosaic. Well, you know, Jesus did, uh, hmm, what could I say, update them so we don't hold to all of them anymore because the purpose of many of them have already been fulfilled. But things like the Ten Commandments, yeah, we hold to them. And the Ten Commandments are just a summarization of a whole block of commandments that add up to 613 commandments and prohibitions, thou shalt and thou shalt not, so that each commandment is expanded in the book of Deuteronomy. There's a summarization of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, for example. And then that's expanded later on in the book. It may take several chapters. So the book of Deuteronomy has the Ten Commandments in chapter 5 in the expansion of the commandments. It goes all the way from chapter 12 to chapter 26. And after the expansion of those commandments, then you have the oaths, the swearing, the promise, the stipulations. If you obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, I will curse you. And after that section of Deuteronomy, then you have the succession of the covenant, how this covenant is going to move forward from generation to generation. That's all in Deuteronomy. Well, the section we come to in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 34, well, it's about that covenant. That's the issue, the Deuteronomic covenant. And just to remind us then, the covenant was given at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And the children of Israel heard the voice of God speaking audibly. And after they heard that, they didn't want him to speak audibly anymore to them. So he did not, and he said it was a good thing. So he spoke through Moses and Aaron and others and prophets. But the ten they heard. And those ten in uh, Exodus chapter 20 are expanded in Exodus chapters 21 through 23, just like Deuteronomy, although it's leaner than Deuteronomy, which is fatter. And uh, then uh, just before they're going into the land, so now 40 years have passed, they've been wandering around in the wilderness, and this unfaithful generation has died off, and all those from 20 years old, and up have grown up in the 40 years and they've uh, some of them are now 60 years old and some of them are newborn there's, there's this whole lot of people and they come right up to get ready to cross over there in moab into across the jordan into the promised land and the covenant is renewed and that's why it's called deuteronomy the second law it hasn't changed it has more detail, but it's the same thing. And this is what I want us... Well, there are several things I'm going to want us to notice, but this is one of the things. 
when God made covenant with Israel, I wish we had time to read all these passages. Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 31. He says, okay, what I want is I want all your elders, all your officers, I want all your Levites, I want all your men, I want all your women, I want all your children, I want all your little ones, I want all those who haul wood for you, and I want all those who haul water for you to be present to make covenant. Well, the wood haulers and the water haulers, they're Gibeonites, they're not Jewish. And all the people that uh, reside in these houses as servants, they're not Jewish. But they come under this covenant because they're going into the promised land. Now, what I want you to notice is it says men, women, children, little ones, from the least to the greatest, I'm going to make covenant with them. Now, what is generally said of churches is today is, okay, we all come together and true believers are in covenant, and our little children, of course, they're not capable of believing, so they're still little heathens, and they're not in the covenant. That just does not square with Scripture, my friends. No, Scripture makes it clear that God has a special place for little children, and God has a special place for wives that are married to unbelieving husbands, and God has a special place for husbands who are married to unbelieving wives, and they all come in and they're called saints. That's the Bible term. And let me say it, I know I've said it a million times, Peter keeps telling me, you just keep saying this, Craig. The word saint is the word holy. And the etymology of the word holy is the word separation. And God is holy, and he's definitely separate from us. But then we don't look at it the way it's used in the Bible, and we come back to the etymology when our particular theology gets in trouble with how it's used in Scripture, we resort to etymology. And when it comes to children and when they can actually believe and what happens to them when they die and are they part of the church, well, certain circles different denominations, non-denominational, uh, yeah, lots of people all around the world, they resort to etymology. Oh, well, they're called Holy Craig because uh, your wife had a baby and he came into the world a sinner, and, uh, but he's separated into your family so that he can hear the gospel. Well, it's true, he's in my family so he can hear the gospel, no doubt about that. But he's, he's not just called separated. He's called a saint. A saint. And the word saint used throughout the Old Testament has to do with going up with the people of God to take part in festival three times a year and going up to the house of the Lord when you want to 
to offer a sacrifice. That's what the word saint has to do. Now, when we come to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we're coming to Josiah. And if you would, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of Yahweh, and he walked in the ways of his father David, his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, and did not turn to the right hand or to the left. So verses 1 through, oh, let's see, 1 through 8, 1 through 7 are an introduction. And in this introduction is an enconium praising Josiah. The first two verses, particularly verse 2. It's just a short praise. But there is no one of the kings in First and Second Chronicles praised like Josiah. He's the top dog in comparing with David and Solomon, Josiah. And he became king at the mature age of eight. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he didn't turn from the right hand or the left hand. Well, the next verses go on to explain a little bit of his progression. And uh, surely at eight years old, he had uh, people watching over him, like Joash had the high priest watching over him. Here, he, he has people watching over him, but the, the account just isn't telling us that, because we know if we let an eight year old loose to run the United States, what would happen? Be all candy and ice cream. No more maternity leaves. Who cares about that? We just want candy and ice cream. So somebody's watching over him and helping him to grow in the scriptures. And remember, Deuteronomy chapter 17 says, okay, you're going to go into this land, and you're going to desire a king. And yes, like the kings of the other nations, you will get a king. And this king is not allowed to multiply horses, not allowed to multiply wives, and not allowed to multiply money. And this king, when he comes to be king, he's going to sit down, and he's going to write out a copy of this law, the book of Deuteronomy, and he is going to read it so that he can rule by it. So, I don't know if uh, Joash wrote one out at eight years old. That would take him quite some time, I suppose, at that age. But nevertheless, that's what was supposed to happen. So then it says in verse 3, For in the third year of his reign, while he was still a youth, I said third, eighth year, while he was still a youth, he began to seek God, the God of his father, David. And in, uh, the, and in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and so forth. So he reigns eight years, and then he begins seeking Yahweh, 
Now, this is key. We've talked about it. It's in so many chapters. And it's what starts out the problem in Chronicles is because there in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, the last two verses of the chapter, there are two things, three things we're told about Saul. One is instead of seeking Yahweh, he sought out a medium, a spiritist. And he was unfaithful. Ma'al is the Hebrew word. And those two words, they're not the only two, but those two words, seek and unfaithful, permeate the book of Chronicles, first and second. And when you get down to the very end, you discover, well, here's the problem. God finally said, there's no remedy. I'm done with them. I'm going to vomit them out of the land because they seek other gods and they have been very ma'al unfaithful. So here's this boy who turns 16, and in our culture, we'd still call him a boy. In that culture, you know, he's right on the edge of manhood, and uh, he is seeking Yahweh. Well, the word seek means to inquire. So he's praying. He's uh, studying the copy of the law that he's written out. Well, no, he's not. He's praying. And then finally, he decides in his prayers that it's time to purge. Well, we saw in chapter 33, Manasseh, who ruled the longest for 55 years, was the most wicked king of the kings. How he set up all kinds of idols. He made figures of the starry host and worshipped them. He set up the bales and made altars for the bales and gave priests to offer sacrifices to the bales. He set up ashram all around the city and in the Holy of Holies he took, put an ashtoreth as a consort to God to worship there. And he put high places all around the place so people could burn incense and make sacrifices on their own to other gods. And he consulted mediums and spiritists. And he carved images. He was a mess. And finally God took him off by the Assyrians to Babylon with a hook shoved through his jowls. And he humbled himself and called on the name of the Lord. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I will hear from heaven and I will answer and I will heal their land. And he was brought back and he was set back on the throne. We don't know exactly when, we can only guess. And he started purging Jerusalem and Judah and beyond. And... Uh, he died. And then his son became king for two years, and his son apparently reinstituted everything that his father had done before he humbled himself. So you have a period of 57 years from the time of Hezekiah when a whole religion has just been turned upside down it's kind of like what's happened in the United States in the last 50 years. 
Doesn't take too long, does it? Lots of us in this room have lived through all that. We've watched it. And the whole culture is wompy side. It's terrible. <laughs> That's what happened in Israel. And an eight-year-old boy who turns 16 begins to seek the Lord, and at the age of 20, the age when a man can go to war, he goes to war against idolatry. Notice then in verse 7, it says, Uh, we don't need to read that. I already stated all that. All that's happening. Now, now what he's going to do in uh, verses 8 through 13 is he's going to go in and have the temple repaired. It's been a mess. has all these altars in there and these carved figurines and stuff. And in 8 through 13, then, the Levites trek around the land, not just Jerusalem and Judea, but into the northern territory, and they collect money. And they come back with this money, and it's organized into three groups, a group by the Kohelethites and the Moraris, and a group by the Levites who are skilled in instruments. And they bring the money back, and they hand it off to, to uh, these workers and these supervisors. And all these people go into the house of the Lord and they begin to reconstruct what's been damaged. Well, we saw that, we've seen that in other chapters where there's had to be repairs made for the, word, for, the, for the house of the Lord. But now think about it. You're talking about 57 years. And he's, even Hezekiah had not gotten it back into the shape that it needed to be. So a lot of work needed to be done. And then when you come down to verses 14 through 21, you hit the crux of chapter 34. So in, in verses 14 through 21, there's money inside the temple. So all these Levites have brought it from contributions. They brought it to the temple. And, of course, it doesn't quite say it this way, so this is, a, this, is, this is an inference. I didn't make it up. Lots of people hold to it. So what happened, apparently, as, as uh, somebody like Manasseh tries to destroy the religion, he's searching out scrolls and getting rid of them. He's getting rid of all the things that belong to the house of the Lord. He's using to serve his own idolatrous purposes. And if you think about the United States, and we're, we're in the mode right now, we're, we're pushing this way. If you wanted to stop Christianity in the United States, what would you do? Well, I don't know how you can do it with cyberspace anymore. You'd gather up all the Bibles you could possibly get, and you would destroy them. 
and you would forbid people worshiping, and uh, you would change. Well, that's what's happening right now. No, Bibles aren't being taken yet, but I did hear of one school that wanted to put it on the banned list for their library. Well, that's only going to grow. Because after all, when you read Deuteronomy, which this chapter is about, it has things to say that are pretty horrible. You know? Like things you put people to death for. For homosexuality. You put people to death. Well, you know, you might say, but for adultery, you put people to death. For kidnapping, you put people to death. Now, this law is written on the heart. We don't do that today. We don't have time to go into the reasons why we don't do it today, but God's judgment against such sin has never changed. Because any sin, who's going to end up in the lake of fire? Sorcerers and murderers and liars. Every sin is worthy of death because every sin is a fist shake at God. I'm not going to do it your way. My way is better. So in verses 14 through 21, Hilkiah finds a hidden treasure, money inside, trying to preserve it probably in the Holy of Holies because only the high priest is supposed to go in there. And somebody like Manasseh might, might really be scared of going into that room or the people he sends. Who knows? But anyway, he finds money that's hidden away. And in that money, in that silver, that's the word in the Hebrew, in that silver, he finds the book of the law given by Moses. Now, this tells you that for some period, maybe not the whole 57 years, Hilkiah doesn't have the book. He's the high priest, and he doesn't have a copy. And for, we'll just say 50 years, there's been no copy running around from which people can hear the word of Yahweh. If our Bibles were taken away and we just collected in this room and we said, okay, we're going to write a new Bible based on our memories, our collective memories, how much of the 66 books could we write? Well, we already know that Caleb can write Psalms. We're good there. But how much could we write? You see, it's a problem. And, of course, based on memory you start forgetting things. You don't remember it correctly. But they, they don't have the book of the law. And so Hilkiah brings it out and he gives it to the scribe who is the man next to the king and the scribe brings the book to the king. And he reads the book to the king. And in verse 19 it says, and it came about when the king heard the words, the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. 
Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Achim, the son of Shophan, Abaddon, the son of Micah, and I didn't practice these, and uh, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the serpent, saying, Go, <clears throat> seek is the word, go inquire of Yahweh for me, and for those who are, uh, for those who, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which he has been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh, which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Well, now, if you want to go scare yourself this afternoon, you go home and you read Deuteronomy's got 34 chapters. You're probably not going to read this this afternoon because after this sermon, you're going to be sleepy. So you go home, you get some food, and you'll sleep half the day away, and then you get up. But if you just turn to chapter 27 and 28 of Deuteronomy, and, you know, it's lengthy, and read it, of all the curses that will come upon Israel for disobedience, they're catastrophic. And remember, God says, I'm bringing you into this land. And here's all the things these people practiced. And you're not to imitate them. And if you imitate them and you practice them, this land from which I've cast them, it will vomit you out. Now, Josiah dies in 609 B.C., and Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C. And the people were carted away. Anybody who had any knowledge or value, they were carted away. It was only, only the poor people who were left to tend to the land. And so Josiah just listened to this reading, and he says, Wow! Yahweh God is angry with us. So in verses 22 and following, these men come and they speak to Holdah. There are, I was telling Grace this morning, there are five prophetesses in the Old Testament. Five women prophets. Can you name them? Ah, that's the $100,000 question. You lose. So they go down, and she talks to them. And in verse 23, And she said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am bringing uh, evil 
on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses written in the book which they have read in your hearing, uh, in your presence of the king, in the presence of the king of Judah. So all of chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy is what God is going to do to this people. But she goes on, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods. Burning incense is a symbolic act of prayer, so they're praying to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. In other words, here's the statement. The wrath is coming and nothing now is going to stop it. So, it's going to happen. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek Yahweh, thus you shall say to him, Thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, regarding the words which you have read, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before him, tore your robes and wept before me, I, I will... I truly have heard you, declares Yahweh. And then he's going to go on to say, what's going to happen is you're going to live life and you're going to die in peace before all of this happens. That's quite a blessing, isn't it? Well, he's uh, maybe 26 at this point, so it's 13 years away. He did die very young, and we'll see next week he died... Uh, out, out of his own disobedience, but he, he died, but he was taken home, and he didn't face what went on here. And then from there, down in uh, verses, verses 28 and following, down to verse 33, King Josiah calls all the people, and uh, they have these pillars out in front of the temple, and one of them is a pillar for the king, and one of them is a pillar for the high priest, and he stands in front of the pillar for the king, and he has all Israel, I shouldn't say it that way, all Jerusalem and Judea gathered with all the officials, and he cuts a covenant with Yahweh to do that all what Yahweh says with all of his heart and with all of his soul. And he makes the people stand with him. Now, this doesn't mean they were standing up. I mean, probably they were, but he makes the people enter into the covenant with him. And the people did. And as long as Josiah lived, they served Yahweh God.
So they, they, they renewed covenant. That's what they did. And who was there? Well, everybody was there. And they're all taken into this covenant from the king all the way down to the little ones. Well, that's the way it is in the New Testament, too. We don't have time to look at that. That's the way it is in the New Testament also. Because we come as people who are covenant households. And mom and dad are in covenant with the Lord, and that means all the little ones are in covenant with the Lord also. Do they have some active two-year-old expressive answer questions kind of faith? No, we, we can't see that yet but they're in covenant. And God promises to be their God and they will be his people. And so the greatest outcome can be expected because God is promising it. All the families in this room are in covenant with God. Well, Israel annually came together, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 31, came together at the Feast of Tabernacles and they read the book of the law and they re-covenanted with the Lord. In the New Testament, we don't do it that way. For one thing, we don't have those festivals anymore. I know that some people like to keep them, but they're all fulfilled in Christ. We have one festival. And it's this table right here. And week by week we come. And what are we doing? We are renewing the covenant with the Lord. Because during the week we have violated the covenant. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally. But if you've sinned during the week, you have violated the covenant. And we come to renew covenant, and God comes to renew covenant with us each week. It's like a married couple. They're married. They've been put together by the word of God. When the preacher says, or the officiant says, uh, in the authority of God, I pronounce you man and wife. There was no marriage. Now there is a marriage, and they're in covenant. And God's right there in the covenant with them. And, of course, the seal of that covenant is connubial bliss. Well, the problem is, you know, husband and wife, they, they live together and they, they fight sometimes. And in that sense, their covenant is disrupted. And they come back together and they say to one another, will you forgive me? And what do they do? Oh, they join in connubial bliss, renew covenant. That's why from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, all the way down to the very end, I looked and I saw one like a bride coming down of, of heaven, the bride of Christ. All the whole Bible is made up of covenant, and the covenant is known to us really in the marriage covenant. Well, when we come together, here we are, we're just one little church, but we're the bride of Christ. And in the new covenant, the covenant was ratified by this table with the apostles, 
And each week we come together and we confess our sins and the Lord forgives us. We listen to a message from the Lord. And now all is good between God and bride. And so what do we do? We sit down at a table and we eat with Christ. And that's what we're here to do today, to make covenant with Christ, renew covenant with Christ. Stand with me. We thank you, Father, that uh, you today have forgiven us as a church for our sins. We thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. And we thank you that we get to come together and sit at this table and feast at our husband's table, who is the king of the universe. And we feast on the food that he gives us, bread and wine, flesh and blood, body and blood, a picture of a sacrifice whereby he's redeemed us through his own self, bearing the penalty of our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And now we come to this table to fellowship with Christ and to sit and enjoy his company. Bless our time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.